Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah Lutheran Church's Bible study class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we are continuing our series over the book of Revelation. Enjoy. I guess it's time. Dear Lord, look after us as we look at uh, your word and guide us to the understanding that we most uh, uh, bless us in our uh, week coming up. And watch over Pastor Adi and his friends as they are uh, looking at some baseball. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am going to start on the page. It's uh, at the bottom. It says page 9. It's chapter 1, verse 12. And it is the tail end of, of last week's lesson. And then I'll go into... This week, page nine, and I'm uh, in the middle of the page. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the son of Ma- like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. The seven... Okay, seven is the number of completion. So, and, and we're going to see that over and over again in Revelations. Uh, but the seven golden lampstands are the function of the churches. And we'll see that on the next page, on page 20, or in verse 20. Among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And uh, that would be? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And that also, um, it's sort of like uh, it, the, uh, the uh, verse Pastor Adi referred to as Daniel 7. It's also like um, when Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the same. But Daniel 7, uh, 13 through 15. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And um, we talk about the robe, the golden sash, the hair. Uh, John is witnessing the majesty and power of God, which really, in a way, is he already saw it once before because he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is kind of a, I'll say a rerun. Daniel 7, verses 9 through 10, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was as white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. 
and then uh, then here's Matthew 17 is the the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. So we're just, you know, this, when he's recording this in, uh, in Revelation, it, this is a tie back to um, Daniel's prophecy as well as the Mount of Transfiguration. And then the out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword is a reference to the Word of God. Verses 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now, look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Kind of interesting his reaction where he says, I fell at his feet. You know, <laughs> what's our reaction going to be? I don't, I don't know. Yes, Bob. Yeah, I'd just like to comment that the vision is very similar to that of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel. And when they saw Christ, they all fell on their face. And they all stayed there until Christ reached down and touched them and gave them strength. And, and that's, that's what happens here, too. You know, it just kind of a reiterates how what our reaction is, is highly likely to be or what we can expect. Uh, as opposed to standing in line with a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I hold to this idea that all the, all the questions that we have down here will become irrelevant and we won't care anymore it won't make any difference the, the one I do want to know is what is that dog smelling in the backyard because he studies it so intently <laughs> could be yeah you said the double-edged sword is the word of God did you say the seven stars were the churches or did you say this, he held seven stars. Well, the seven stars, uh, the seven stars, the seven golden lampstands, the seven angels are all—they're all tied together. The, uh, the study Bible uh, kind of indicates that the stars are the angels assigned to guard the seven churches. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I think that actually that's in the very next passage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we can just zip through there. Oh, I think it is interesting. Don't, you know, he tells John to not be afraid. But I think that when we see God face to face, it's going to evoke a reaction. I mean, I just, to, to think it's not is, doesn't comprehend or doesn't calculate in my mind. The living one alive and forever, Jesus' resurrection is the key reality which proves his power over all that is happening for whose benefit. Um, and um, this is a, a prayer from Ephesians 1, 18-23. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance to it in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You know, just another kind of picture of heaven and God the Father and God the Son and, you know, what we will see. Hold the keys. The keys unlock one's access to death and hell. And then... As we finish the chapter, write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. There's the two, the two views of Revelation. You know, we're looking at it that we're looking at time from the ascension to the second coming as one thing and and in that to that same token they talk about seven churches and I can remember as a child I guess or maybe other times a lot of times we look at those seven churches and say oh this church is like that one church but I think a better view of that is to look at the characteristics of the seven churches because there are parts of our church that may represent one of those churches and parts of our church may represent a second one or a third one or a fourth one. And in a way, you could take it down to yourself, you know, because we, we do... I'll say the good that a particular church is doing, but we may be doing the bad that the, another church is doing. And we have to be, I guess the thing about it is, is if you, if you use really broad labels, sometimes you cover up reality because we're a lot more complex than we may want to admit to. And it's a lot, it's a lot harder to deal with complexity and as humans we tend to simplify we're going to label everything oh these are these people or, and these are those people but that's not really a very good uh, way to look at it yeah one of the things that I learned just very recently from pastor just explaining this because I had a question and that is when you're saying this would you say comparing to all Lutheran say Lutheran churches when you look at a, this Lutheran church or that Lutheran church or that Lutheran church thinking we are thinking along the same ways of worship. This question I had was a particular person that I read that just blasts the church in general today because it does not give emphasis to the Holy Spirit. And others, others have said the same thing. Or other things about the church that are not like the church the old church, the original churches, what they did. So the explanation that was given to me that I had never heard and kind of explains this, 
is that if you're talking about a certain denomination, that denomination puts a great emphasis on, say, the Holy Spirit, whereas another denomination puts more emphasis on Jesus, and another denomination, perhaps God himself, the different, different persons of the Trinity. I was told also that the Lutheran Church, our Lutheran Church, puts more emphasis on Jesus Christ. So we don't maybe hear the Holy Spirit spoken of as often as another church that I'm hard it's hard for me to say who's who, but I know that, that you know there's different denominations that believe in say speaking in tongues and mm -hmm. so forth. They're going to be concentrating on the Holy Spirit. So this was a new explanation to me of what you're saying is that there's different emphasis, but we're talking about different denominations and not just Lutheran. Well, I, I think that I think that's what Pastor and I, Adi and I were talking about this. It, it, we're really tempted to put a label and generalize from that. And that detracts from what the church is doing. You know, there are all kinds of people in just in our church, okay? And they're doing different things. You know, different things motivate them. And so they may concentrate more on a particular ministry. I mean, it's like not all the men go to the men's retreat. You know, that doesn't mean that, you know, that ministry serves a subset of our church. It doesn't necessarily define Messiah Lutheran Church. But it is a, you know, I've never been a part of a men's ministry like the one that Pastor Audie does in any other church, Lutheran or otherwise. So I think that, I think the temptation that, that Satan uses is he tries to let us simplify everything, generalize it to a point that now we can condemn it all. You know, I'm sure there are churches that are doing things that are, we'll say, not right. But, you know, somebody goes along. So see what they're doing? Well, all those Christians are bad. You know, I mean, I, I think that we have to guard ourselves in just thinking, okay, wait a minute. Am I falling into that trap? Am I judging people for... Oh, yeah, so-and-so belongs to X church, and so therefore they must believe this, and they must do that, and they're okay with that. I mean, it's like I was telling somebody the other day. The, he was complaining about some people that he associates with that listen to a certain news outlet. And I said, conjecture cannot be disproved. That's why it's such a great appeal to get people stirred up and riled up. Because you can't disprove it. So I think for us, we have to look at it and say, am I going down the right path? And if I look in the mirror, because that's the person we really have control over, as opposed to the other folks.
I think of Revelation as the book of completeness because, well, that's the way I was raised, mm -hmm. number one. But uh, I was raised in the Pentecostal church. I believe in all that you've, you've been talking about, all of it. In fact, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. as a Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And I know what that's about. And that's the most wonderful thing you can ever have, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the completeness. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Bible is, is the completeness. That's what Revelation is. It's an explanation of it is finished. Yeah, of this, of this time period until... Yeah, until we get to the, until we get to the very end there, <laughs> and then that's a whole new beginning, and I have no idea what's going to happen at that point. <laughs> I am completely. I'm just going to be amazed, and I'll probably fall to my fall to my knees, because <laughs> there seems to be some pretty strong evidence that that's how we're going to react. It, it's so interesting to me how, uh, like I watched my mom die in her dying passing mm -hmm. and the pain and everything. And to think that the eyes close, the eyes open, and you're with the Lord. And I think about people who are like dying in combat and mm -hmm. are maybe being murdered or horrible things. And then they suddenly wake up or whatever in this complete different, in the flesh of an eye. Mm -hmm. I just wonder how, it, it, is it different for those who go through something like that and then wake up in paradise all of a sudden as opposed to I had a very peaceful calm passing in my sleep? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. And, uh, but I will say that I don't think, it, I don't remember if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before last. And it was, uh, I don't know if it was a psalm reading or whatever, but there was a, uh, they'll, the, the reading, and I'm not, can't, I don't memorize stuff, so I'll probably get it goofed up, but it is, is that there will be a, a moment of grief and then joy. And like I said, I can't remember where it was, but, uh, and I don't even know who I was talking to. And that moment is the, at the moment of death when you realize, here are all my sins. <laughs> but it's just a moment. And then right after that, it's, it's, it's completely changed. And, and when we're at that moment, it doesn't matter what that church thinks or that person thinks no. or that politician thinks. No, it's... I'm trying to take it back to how it is with me and God, not everybody else in this black and white world that nobody sees gray anymore. Um, I will admit to that. <laughs> I'm a strong believer in gray. Yeah. <laughs> a strong believer in that. Okay. Now we're moving on to session four. We, I'm a hundred million percent sure that we will not finish. <laughs> I know. Um, the first two letters to the churches follow a similar pattern, and actually it's all of them. There's a, um, the command to write, 
that identification of Jesus as the author, and I know that in one of my Bibles it's all in red, um, a diagnosis of the church's spiritual condition, a commendation and a condemnation, and an exhortation to repent and improve, a wake-up call and a statement of promise. So those are all, That's we're going to see that pattern over and over again. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And the description of Ephesus, it's one of the wealthiest cities in Asia Minor. Uh, it was the center of the worship of Artemis or Diana, the Greek of fertility. Hence, temple prostitution was considered a spiritual profession. The temple at Artemis was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Pagan superstition, superstition, excuse me, crime and sexual immorality were rampant in Ephesus. As a free city, it was not under Roman rule, but enjoyed self-rule. Um, and Acts 19 describes uh, St. Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And <laughs> as a free city, probably the most similar situation in modern day is Hong Kong. From 1999 until last year. The Chinese government was kind of like, yeah, y'all can do your own thing, even though you're part of us, we'll let you do that. And under their current leader, they have definitely said, it's over. So that kind of describes the city. Um, some of the things about Hong Kong uh, that, I don't know if they're still true, but it was the largest market for the sale of Rolls-Royce cars. So... We're talking Ephesus was a really, really rich city. Um, then uh, the words of him who holds and walks among, that's basically identifying Jesus as the author of these words. And uh, I'm knowing Pastor Coleman's going through this. There are a lot of, through the book of Revelation, there's a lot of allusion to Jesus without using the name Jesus in the book. And that was so that the book would survive because there was a at that time the romans uh saw their emperors as god and if their emperor is god then there can't be any other ones and oh you're saying jesus is god no we're we're getting rid of that material so that's part of the reason why as we go through this we'll we'll find allusions to jesus without the actual literal use of jesus Bob, did you have something? Yeah, I just want to say Ephesus was the main city in uh, Asia, not the Asia we think of. Asia was a region or a, print, or a principality in the Roman Empire in southwest Turkey. Was it all and of all Turkey? All cities in, in this region mm -hmm. are in that area of southwest Turkey, and Ephesus was the chief city, and John became bishop of Ephesus later on. Well, it depends on when you want to date this, mm -hmm. the writing of uh, yeah. 
this, but he was the bishop of Ephesus, and he was responsible as as that he was responsible for all these other churches. Ah, okay. So that kind of puts it in perspective. And why why did we start with Ephesus, main city? Uh, your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. The Christians at Ephesus worked hard to keep the gospel uh, pure among them. So their teaching, their preaching, their all of their efforts. Um, were recognized as, as they should be. Uh, you cannot tolerate wicked people. Wicked are described as those with unrepentant beliefs and lifestyles influenced by um, the worship of Artemis. And a lot of that was um, a lot of superstition. Uh, you have persevered and have endured. Their commitment to preaching and teaching uh, was to sound biblical principles would have cost them dearly in their community. The payoff, however, was the gospel was not uh, compromised. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the uh, Nicolaitans, I guess that's how you, which I also hate. Um, the first love was the love of God. You think about all of us in times of our life have high points and low points. You know, so in a way you could say that this is, you know, when we're not as enthused about our faith, we're kind of following along the lines of this church of, at Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The first love is loving God and loving one's neighbor out of gratitude for God's first loving us. Apparently, in an effort to preserve the purity of their doctrinal beliefs, they became arrogant and judgmental in how they treated others. Mercy and grace and agape love took a back seat to scrutinizing the beliefs of others. Yeah, the, the, the mirror would be a good place to study <laughs> as opposed to the window. <laughs> and then Pastor Audie uh, wrote down 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, uh, which you can read there, but I actually, I have a translation that I like, and I went through that whole passage, and you see where, like it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. I've removed the word it and put love there and replaced all the pronouns with, and, and it reads like this, love is patient and kind, Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and love keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never, get, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and love endures in every circumstance. And that's something that I, I find really helpful to me. I meditate on it frequently because I frequently uh, do the uh, forsaking part also. 
I need all the help I can get. Consider how far you have fallen. They blinded themselves to their loss. And, you know, that's that whole business of, of generalizing, you know, oh, well, we're better than this church or we're better than that church. You know, that whole thing. There's probably somebody in that church that you may not like who's really doing what they need to do. But you're covering it up when we kind of use those labels. Repent and do the things you did first. Repent, literally turn around in mind, heart, and action. Jesus exhorts them to maintain the highest standard of doctrinal truth while at the same time sharing the mercy, grace, and loving in which God had shared with them in Christ. I, I kind of think this is really part of examining what's, what is our relationship with, with God and our neighbor at each moment. You know, when somebody does something that aggravates you and you react angrily, you're not building the relationship. And depending on maybe what you say, you might be tearing down the relationship. And it's very clear you have to turn around and work, work back at rebuilding, you know, repairing that, that relationship. Whether it's your relationship with your, with your neighbor or your relationship with God. If you're, we, can, we can have, uh, we can react to God and get mad at him. I sometimes think that we don't acknowledge that as being a real reaction. Yeah, God, I really don't like this. I don't want this. But there is a re reason that, that God places the things that do occur in our life. Or what's going on in somebody else's life is actually, you know, God's, hey, I need you to go give them a hand. You need to, you know, come alongside them. I need you to be my hands and my feet. Uh, see, if you do not repent, the failure of the... Failure to maintain the balance or purity with loving would result in the death of their ministry. Um, and that's true. When, when you're being a, a bad person, you're not winning any, anybody's uh, heart to God at all. You're, you're tearing things down. And where, where it, the change starts is within yourself. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. A Gnostic sect which taught its followers to compromise with the Greek world of hedonistic and self-serving pleasures. All the members of the Ephesus church would have been new converts uh, to Christianity from um, the religious idolatry. Part of what was going on, we covered a little bit of this when we were in John, is the idea that the body was bad... And the spirit was good. And uh, that, that, well, let's say, wait a minute, I am body and spirit, so that means I'm good and bad. So um, they, there, there is, there's, there's God's standard, and then there's, we'll say, Satan's standard over here. And we want to be over here. 
but we're probably somewhere in the middle, the gray area. <laughs> and we should be trying to move over to, the, to God's standard, but that's an everyday battle. Uh, and um, I, I think that this is one of the things, uh, it's something we struggle with. I mean, in, in a way, this is, this is speaking to us. Um, kind of the do what I say, not what I do idea. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That reference to the one who is victorious, the tree of life is located in the Garden of Eden, and which is portrayed as being in heaven. Though refusing to compromise with Greek idolatry was commended, Jesus ties the victorious life to people who show grace and mercy as well. And I think that's something we probably should examine in ourselves frequently is because we can get really mad and we really don't want to have extend any mercy, but God gave us mercy. <laughs> so we need to extend mercy to others. And I'm moving faster than I thought I would. So here we are at the next church. Unless there's, to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you, I will give you, life. yeah, I think it should be your, I'm this. give you your, your life as your victor's crown. Give you, li oh, give you life as your victor's crown. It's a lot easier reading it silently, then you can change all the words. And then when you read it out loud, you're like, wait a minute, that's not sounding right. Smyrna was located 40 miles north of Ephesus. Smyrna was a beautiful city founded as a Greek colony in 1000 BC. It was considered a planned community as a Greek colony in 1000 BC. It is considered uh, with bronze streets and beautiful landscaping. It too was a free city in which culture and, culture and the arts flourished. Your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. The Christian church suffered at the hands of numerous and wealthy Jews living in the city. Jews in 155 AD were responsible for the martyr, martyrdom of Polycarp, the great bishop of Smyrna. Jesus reminded them that although they were poor in the eyes of how the community measured wealth, they were rich in his eyes. All is still true. Still true. The slander of those who say they are Jews but are a synagogue of Satan. Judaizers were the Jews who were insistent that chosen people could be strict adherence to the Jewish law. Uh, slander was the choice of weapons used against Christians. And that hadn't changed. <laughs> they accused them of cannibalism. And that's related to the Lord's Supper, the teaching of eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood. Uh, love feast is orgies instead of fellowship communion meals. 
breaking up families as believers versus unbelievers and being not loyal to Caesar. You know, I think that this, I guess, recurrent theme that struck me anyway is the, this whole idea of generalizing. You know, the idea that those people over there are doing that. It, they were doing it here. They're still doing it today. And the only thing that we have to, I almost say, to speak against that is our own individual witness, the own individual thing of what we do, you know, from sunup to sundown, how we treat other people, how we demonstrate love of neighbors and love of God. I mean, the way we love our neighbors is an expression on the previous page. We do that out of gratitude for the, the love that God gave us. You know, that's, that's our motivation. God loved us so much. He said, yeah, you, I'll take you. And we have to do the same thing. So I have a question. Yeah. What to these Judaizers is the idea of what constitutes loyalty? Because the I mean the, the Ten Commandments still is a rule for them, so you know the first commandment still stands. So what constitutes to them as loyalty? Is that just hey, pay your taxes, be nice? Do they also do what these other cities are doing, which is have to say Caesar is Lord? I mean, what constitutes as loyalty? Because seems well, kind of like hypocrisy to me, but I'm curious. Well, okay, for, well the only Jesus kept all the Ten Commandments. Everybody else has failed. But they're acting like they're, that's not a true statement. They're saying, oh, yeah, those, that guy over there, he's, he's, he's kept all the commandments. But that guy over there didn't. So this one's loyal. That one's not loyal. So it's the idea of, of you know, the Pharisees were big on, on their show about what they did. You know, they had the tied the prayer boxes on and, you know, they pointed out, hey, um, you didn't completely tie there. Um, mm, I think I saw you working last Sabbath. So they were, but the only reason why they did that is if I can point out everything you're doing wrong, then maybe God won't look at me. And that's that motivation to point out those people over there are really bad. And they were doing, this, they were doing that to the church of Smyrna. So they, it was like their last ditch effort for people not to see how sinful they were. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not a bad guy, you know. It's those other guys over there that are bad guys. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Suffering for the faith would follow. Christians are encouraged to give, a, give in to their fears and continue to find their hope and courage. And, you know... Um, there are people today that preach that if you become a Christian, your life will be all squared away. And I think it goes under the title of the prosperity gospel. If you just do this, then you'll have a nice car, a big house, everything will be fine. But that's not biblical. That's not biblical. Um, 
One of my uh, devotions this week was talking about if you all have trouble, rejoice. And, and in a way, that verse would have gone, you could send that to the folks in Smyrna. You are going to suffer. You're going to be challenged. And guess what? We know how it all ends. <laughs> and so don't be afraid. And a lot of times, suffering does come into our life to build our character, to, to teach us new lessons uh, about and to build our faith. Richard? Mm-hmm. Everyone here would probably agree with me that it's when we're really in in a crisis or a hardship or grieving that's when we turn to God and and are most authentic in our worship and our prayer life with Him. I agree. But I also think that sometimes I guess I can't remember where it is exactly, but sometimes we have hardship. And the reason why we have hardship is to either prepare us to help somebody who undergoes that hardship after us, or we're undergoing some hardship because somebody's supposed to come alongside and, you know, walk with us and to help us through whatever the hardship is that we're going through. And, and we're, we're very interdependent. And... Sometimes I think uh, we try to look at things too much, and there's a it's a it's an argument, cause and effect. And I know when when I was teaching, I was teaching that. And one night I sat down and I listened to the evening news, and every story that's exactly how they presented it. This happened because of this. This happened because of this. Folks, life is not that simple. You know, it really isn't. It, it may be a chain reaction car crash, if you will. Somebody wasn't paying attention. They hit this person. They hit that person. And, you know, it's, it, life is complicated. Uh, let's see. Some of you in prison. Let's see. You're about to uh, go back. Oh, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. The notice who's given the blame for the imprisonment or the real source of persecution. And, and, you know, sometimes, yeah, it is the devil. And sometimes God allows it to happen so that we are prepared or we grow um, to that situation, whatever the persecution is. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. 10 is a multiple of 1,000. Um, and this, this would mean that your persecution is not that long. <laughs> it's not an exact 10 days. <laughs> it's a symbolic 10 days. <laughs> Be faithful even to the point of death. Faith in Christ might cost you the end, your temporal life. Okay, that meaning the present every day, what we're doing right now. Verse 11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The one who is victorious will not be hurt the second death. Your first death is the end of your temporal life. That's the right now. 
Second death is the beginning of eternity for unbelievers in hell. So the sequence for the victorious life is a temporal life in faith with Jesus. That's right now. Then point in time, dying in faith in Jesus, and then eternal life in faith. See, I have cheat notes, so I wanted to know. <laughs> okay, well, the funny thing is, Pastor Adi, and I don't know if there, oh, there are markers. Pastor Adi put some notes on mine, but, which I think are kind of cool, but there's a parallel. What I just said, we have the believers here. And the sequence of life is and when I went over this I said oh well there's also there's the other side this would be the temporal rejection those would be the goats Yes, okay, thank you, thank you. So for the believers, we have a temporal life in Jesus, we die in faith, and then we have an eternal life uh, with God. But there's another option, a not recommended option. You can reject Jesus in this life and say, nah, I'll do that later, uh, I don't need him, um, but when you die, you will die without Jesus. And then you will spend eternal life in hell. It always bugged me when people said, do you want to have eternal life? And it's like, everybody gets eternal life. <laughs> it's the destination that's important. <laughs> you know, where? Where is a big deal? A very big deal. So, thoughts? I saw a little presentation uh, once on YouTube or something. Uh, it was a man who was trying to describe the length of life on earth as opposed to the length of eternity. And he was showing a young person and he pulled out a charger, a cell phone charger that was really long. And, mm -hmm. and he showed the end of it that plugs into the phone. And he said, that little bitty thing is your life right now on earth. And then he started pulling out the rest of it real slow, mm. slow, slow. And he said, this is your eternal life. And, of course, he never got to the end of it. You know, he just kept pulling. Yeah. And, and I thought that was a really good visual, especially for young people. Mm -hmm. Thinking about, you know, time and the, how eternity is never ending. And tons bigger than what's going on right now. Well, yeah. Or you turn around and you could do it. Of course, people don't like fractions. I don't know. There must be something wrong with me because I like numbers. There's something wrong with you. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, you know, if you, if you say, okay, average lifespan is 70. Okay, we'll just use that. Okay. And if you divide 70 by 70, it's the numbers. It's 100%. But if you divide 70 by 700, you know, it drops down to 10%. But, but eternity is not 700. It's not 700,000. It's not 700 million, 700 billion. But if you can imagine dividing 70 by 700 billion, I don't know how many 
decimal places. I think most calculators would not like that division, but <laughs> anyway, one to the 10 to the eighth or something like that. It'd be a big number. Anyway, but th that, yeah, eternity is really hard to wrap your brain around is how long it is. Yeah, because Satan wants us to just concentrate on right now. And, you know, yeah, the next five minutes. Problems. Yeah. Yeah. In, in ADD land, this is, this is a good thing. Anything else? Because I don't have any answer. <laughs> and I'm not ready to go to the next book. But uh, anyway, I do think that, we, you know, as we're going through these, these churches, it's important to really look at our own lives and where am I like the church at Ephesus and where am I like the church of Smyrna and so forth? Because I think that we, we all have faults that we don't see very well in our own lives and they may be pretty obvious ones. We're just not aware of it. So I think awareness of, of where we testify to the bad would be a good thing. <laughs> Anything? Well, I will close with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for this day, and thank you for these lessons that are always true and always important to us, and help us to examine um, the life we're living and make sure that we are living as you would have us live and, and just help us to be mindful. Um, watch over us this coming week as we go about um, in our temporal world and help us to um, be your grace and mercy to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.